Welcome to Primer, a podcast that gets you closer to the heart of the matter. As you may know, the Primer is a small cap at the base of ammunition that when struck by a firing pin goes BAM. It ignites the gunpowder and sends the bullet downrange. The point of the podcast is like that, to get you going in the right direction quickly by briefly tackling a variety of subjects like books, people, events, issues, whatever. After listening, if you want to take it further, you can. Episodes and more information can be found at personalprimer.com. I'm Joe McCormick, and let's get you primed on a remarkable book by Annie Grace to control alcohol and lead to spontaneous sobriety. This episode is really exciting for me to lead because I got this book and it was a gift from my sister. She just, one day, my sister Annie, ironically because the author's name is Annie, Annie Grace is the author. My sister Annie gave me this book. She recommended, actually she recommended a video and she just sent the video to me because she saw it. She thought it was interesting and I watched it and it inspired me. I watched this short video and then I immediately wanted to uh, read the book. And I'm not a huge reader, but there's something that it just triggered in me to, to read the book. And I'm really happy that I did, and I want to share it with you today. Um, the book is remarkable, but the title is not remarkable. In fact, I use a test like, how hard is it to remember? And this book I've recommended to many people is very hard to remember the title. was called This Naked Mind. And it's very provocative, but it doesn't actually connect to the point of the book at all. So it's provocative, and it's kind of cool, but... I don't really see the connection after having read the book. It's really about spontaneous sobriety and the, and the control and power alcohol has on our lives. And I wanted to share with you on this episode of Primer because drinking, it just seems like an, a life essential, um, but it really produces a lot of noise. And as you probably know, I've written a book called Noise, and there are a lot of distractions and interruptions and things that are just sources of noise in our life. And after having read this book, I read it while I was writing the book Noise. I really came to the conclusion that alcohol produces an enormous amount of noise in people's lives. It doesn't produce clarity. It, it, it leaves a lot of wreckage in its wake. And I want to walk you through um, the things that I discovered when I re re read this book and why I'm recommending it. Um, after we get past the fact that This Naked Mind is a terrible title, um, I started looking at, while I was reading it, my relationship with alcohol. And I've, I've been a drinker for as long as I can remember. I think I had my first drink when I was in like eighth grade or early high school. And it was something that we always did in our neighborhood, um, going out on Friday nights and the weekends to have fun, you'd drink. Um, I know it's kind of a common joke, but, you know, I, Irish like to drink, so my family is no different, and drinking was always part of growing up in and, and our lake house and weekends, and you just, when you had fun, you saw alcohol, and when there's a funeral, you saw alcohol, and it was just, it was part of our life, and and then alcoholism or alcoholics always felt to be like, all right, well, that person's an alcoholic, they probably are this, you know, weird, rare individual that passes out on their front lawn and, and gets a DUI and... Um, but most people are functional alcoholics, so they drink, but they can control it. And, and the admission, I always thought the admission of saying a person saying, like, I'm an alcoholic seemed to me like the last straw or something pretty extreme. I've come to 
changed that opinion a lot through this book. But a person saying, I want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous seemed to be a very definitive choice. Like it's, they've gotten to rock bottom and, and now they're in AA and, and they're in the, the 12-step program. And they've made that declaration and they've been almost like the scarlet letter declared like, I'm an alcoholic and I'm, it's a shameful declaration. And I had heard a story that it really kind of, um, it troubled me. It was sad. Um, I, I, I do a lot of work with the military, United States military, and specifically the special operations unit units. And I'd heard a story of a guy who, I, nobody told me who it was, but it, it was like one morning they found this guy in his car. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And he was a special forces officer, and he was, he was drunk. He was passed out in his car. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was a serious offense. And this guy who was telling me the story is like, you know, they had to bring him up. They bring him up charges. I mean, it was just, it was, it was disgraceful. And I started thinking about the trauma maybe in this guy's life. And maybe he'd been at multiple deployments and he'd seen terrible things. And he's, he's living, he's trying to be a good guy. And he's trying to, maybe he's married, he's got kids and alcohol's got this role in his life. But he's, he's in pain. He's, he's, maybe he's seen people die. I, I was imagining these things. And, and maybe he's using alcohol as a way of medicating and numbing some of these painful memories. I'm going to go out and just have a drink on a Friday night. And then things just got bad. And, and the pain, he wanted to medicate the pain because he was in a lot of pain. And, and that might just ruin his career. And then I, I, after I had heard that story, I told the guy who told me the story, I'm like, give him this copy of this book. You know, in reality, should he go to you know, receive help in substance abuse? Yeah, probably. I mean, he passed out in his car. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. It was terrible. Will he do it? Probably not. Probably not. He'll, he'll do it. He, maybe he got in trouble. Maybe he didn't. Uh, maybe he dodged a bullet, so to speak. And, and he'll, he'll go back and do it again. A lot of people do it. You know, the after Friday night, Saturday morning rolls around. After Saturday night, Sunday morning rolls around. And, and in its wake is a lot of, uh, you know, huh, maybe funny war stories, but there's a lot of wreckage. So dream, drinking seems like a life essential, and this book really kind of opened my eyes. Uh, Annie Grace's book opened my eyes. So let me just walk you through some of the things that I discovered when I, when I read this book. The first is on, on page 150 of the book, at least the version that I'm reading right now, is there was this chart, and it was really eye-opening for me. If you can kind of imagine, like, there's like a center line, like the like an X and Y axis. So the the X axis is is you know kind of normal. That's kind of like the baseline. And above it is euphoria. So if you go positive above that line, you get moments of euphoria. And below the normal line is depression. And they start labeling certain activities like the first time you do it, like I read a good book and I feel normal, and that just starts to increase. It's almost like waves. The wave goes up, and it's like this moment to be for you, and then you, after you read the book, you come back down. And then the next thing they talked about is falling in love, and you have this moment of high moment of euphoria, and then it comes back down. And, and then it was like sex, a great meal, watching a movie. And then they start talking about alcohol. The first time you have alcohol and you get drunk, this high moment of euphoria, and then it comes back down to normal. And then the second time, the high isn't as high but the low goes back to the normal line. And then the next time, the high isn't as high, and it goes below the normal line, 
and then the subsequent to the high isn't as high, but the low gets lower than normal. And then you start seeing this decline where you have to drink more to get the same high, but the low gets lower and it leads to depression. And that, I looked at that and I just kind of charted it out and I'm like, you have to work. And I found this to be my experience. Looking back the first time I ever had a drink, it was like amazing. And then you get buzzed and then you your brain just start, starts doing all this crazy stuff to your brain. But then over time, it takes a lot more to recreate that. And the depression or the low below it and the aftermath gets to be steeper. And at some point to drink, you're just trying to stay at that normal line. And I looked at that and that was really, I was like, wow, that really, and then she starts talking about medically how that happens. And that just really painted a picture. So that was the first thing, this high and low chart about euphoria versus a normal line and then depression. It was like, wow, this is really eye-opening. Um, the second thing that she said in the book that I thought was really, it was super intriguing and very pro provocative was the addictive quality of alcohol. And I, I've, I know that it's addictive, but I don't look at it like an addictive drug like, you know, heroin or all these. And, and she talks about how addictive alcohol is and how gradual the addictions can become. And she introduces this, this um, analogy of um, a plant. It's called a pitcher, P-I-T-C-H-E-R, a pitcher plant. And it's a powerful analogy um, because in this analogy, this plant, this particular plant, it, 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 an insect will land on the plant, and it will start tasting a very sweet nectar, and it will eat and then eat more and more. And then the decline, the, the plant sort of just goes down. Like it's like, imagine like a flower that's open and it kind of goes down and it keeps on eating the nectar and then it'll slide down to the base of this plant and die. And it's, the, it's nature's intent to entice um, insects to come in this pitcher plant. I did some subsequent research on YouTube, and it's, it's a remarkably destructive plant because it entices through its sweetness, but it kills, it kills you. And she makes the analogy that alcohol is the same way. It'll entice you, but ultimately it'll kill you. And, and it's, it's very powerful, the, 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 the analogy that it's, it's addictive, its addiction is gradual, but it can accelerate. Um, and then I'm just highlighting a quote that I'm going back through my notes when I read it for the first time. Um, she says, quote, but can't we have the best of both worlds? Enjoy the nectar and then fly away. Maybe you can put limits on yourself and monitor your intake. Tons of people can do this and do it well for a while until something changes in their lives, some additional stressor or tragedy. In this started triggering in me like, yeah, it's, so f it's fine. I mean, it's, it's super enjoyable, but then there's triggers and tragedies and sadnesses and stressors in lives that accelerate this decline and this addiction, and it becomes very, very dangerous. But I didn't notice it, and I start using it for its euphoria and its ability to numb and medicate and to help me manage and handle these stresses. For example, a death or uh, a disruption or a setback or whatever. Um, and, and I started really seeing, wow, this is really, this, this is what's happening to me in people that I know. So that was the acceleration. That was the second thing. The third thing 
um, was it's really the fun, kind of the fundamental point of her book, which is um, how we form a conscious belief about alcohol, but how there's subconscious things happening that produce that belief. And she challenges them straight on. And I'm going to walk you through um, what they are. So she has this little chart and it says, okay, I believe these things about alcohol, but subconsciously that belief actually came from something. It came from experiences and observations. It came from assumptions and it came from subconscious conclusions. And she isolates seven of them. And in her, in her book, she calls these, these beliefs, um, I, I kind of look at them like moments, and she calls them liminal points, L-I-M-I-N-A-L, liminal points. And the book is kind of, she challenges each one of these liminal points as, as subconscious um, experiences and observations, assumptions and conclusions that lead to a conscious belief. This is true. And she challenges the truth of these things. And she does them one by one. The first is drinking is a routine. It's a ritual. It's a habit. I just, I, I have a drink on Saturday. It's a Sunday morning mimosa. It's, a, it's, I believe that this is a good ritual in my life. And then she challenges that one. That's the first one. The second one is I do it for the taste. I like the taste of beer. I like the taste of bourbon. I like the taste of wine. She challenges that one. I consciously, I can say as, a, as, a, as an admission, I like the taste of bourbon. Some people like like the taste of red wine. I like the taste of beer. I'm, and she challenges that, where that comes from. And she does it very gently. She doesn't do it in an aggressive way. And she does it sharing her own stories as a person who was never a drinker and then became a hard drinker and alcohol took over her life. And she kind of retraces in the book her steps. The third one, the third moment is it helps me gain courage. You know, liquid courage. You hear alcohol described as liquid courage. That's the third um, moment or point belief. Um, the fourth one is it helps me relax and loosen up, right? So alcohol is a way for me to do that. The fifth point is it makes me happy. I enjoy it. Alcohol is the key to having fun. And going back to what I said earlier, I, I'm going to stop on that one for a second. So when I grew up, I started thinking about these experiences that I had and I started thinking about these observations, parties. I had never been to a party, a family party, where there wasn't alcohol. My experiences was, and every time that there was fun, there was alcohol. But then I started wondering, did we have fun because of alcohol, or could we have fun without alcohol? And I, I'd always thought, like, how could teenagers and college students go out and have fun without alcohol? Because every time I had fun, there was alcohol. And, I, and, I, and I'm like... Could I actually have fun? And she was she challenged, like, could you actually have fun? And I actually, after reading the book, I went to a party and I didn't drink and I had fun. I had fun. In fact, I started, I had I had more fun than the people who went to the party. Because alcohol actually you have fun, but you had less fun. Um, and I started I started and I challenged my belief. So that was that was the fifth one. Connected to it um, are the next two. But it's vital for social life. So in business, how can I go out on a business trip or a business, like a, a dinner or, or like a golf outing in business, anything in business and not have alcohol? It's always, it's part of how you socialize in business. And the last is it's cultural, right? I need to fit in. Celebrations, like you're having a baptism, a wedding. Could you have a wedding without alcohol? Could you go to a wedding reception without alcohol? Start really challenging like these fundamental beliefs that I was consciously aware of, that I had made these beliefs. I believe this to be true. And I and I kind of going back to this list again, 
I believed these things to be true, but subconsciously, where do they come from? And in her book, she started saying, well, there are experiences and observations that you've made, but you weren't conscious of them at the time, and they were happening over time. And these were assumptions, and these were conclusions that you subconsciously made in your mind that led to a conscious belief. So consciously, yeah, I believed that drinking was a good ritual, and I believed that I liked the taste, and I believed that it helps me gain courage, and I believed that it was a key to loosening up. And in this case, loosening up, like I mentioned earlier, it was a key to medicating and not feeling like I used it like ibuprofen. If, if I had a bad day, have a drink. Like it was a way of like when you feel when you when you hit yourself, stub yourself on the toe and you really in a lot of pain, you take an ibuprofen, you have a headache. I believe that it was key to to, to loosening up or to, to, to feeling less pain. It was key to having fun. How could you have fun without it? It was essential to having fun. You can't have fun without it. It's key to social life and business. I can't go on a business dinner without having alcohol. And culturally, I just, I can't fit in. I would never be able to fit in. And I believed all these things in reading this book. I, I'm like, but why? Why do I believe these things? And her book kind of opened my eyes like, subconsciously, there was these experiences, observations, assumptions and conclusions that is subconsciously, well, once you shed light on the subconscious, it becomes conscious and you become aware of it. And I challenged it. I challenged it head on. And then for like a month, I just didn't, I just stopped drinking. Um, it was a promise of spontaneous sobriety. She's like, you can, you can choose. And this is sort of the, the, the point of the book where I, where I love this book is I felt like I didn't have a choice. Like, I had to. If I'm having a bad day, I have to have a drink. At the end of the day, I, I'm, I have a cocktail. On the weekends, I drink. Um, and this book gave me a say in the role that alcohol would play, actually does play in my life. I now have a say. Before, I didn't have a say. I, I, I did it because I did it. And I didn't feel... And as I encountered difficulties in my life it played a really pretty negative role in my life. It wasn't helping me lead a better life. If I look at the return on investment, all the time and money that I'd spent in alcohol, it wasn't producing a good ROI in my life. It just wasn't. So it spoke, the book spoke to me. It didn't speak at me. It wasn't a preachy book, so I liked that a lot. She did a great job, wonderful. I felt like I got to know her as an author. Um, it was eye-opening to see where these beliefs came from and the power that they have on me and on people. The stories that she told really were amazing. Um, and I started to understand how addictive, but this gradual ascent, is going back to this picture plant, how a gradual ascent was triggered with moments and accelerate. It could trigger and accelerate its decline with difficulties and setbacks and sadness and grief in life and how alcohol could really play. I would do it for a way of medicating and numbing and at times very intense pain. And I came to realize it only made it worse and it made it a lot worse. It was already bad and using alcohol to stop it just, it stopped it momentarily, but it made it much worse. And there was a wreckage in my life behind it that um, to this day, it's, I look back and I don't, I, I look back with deep regret. I, I really do. But reading this book gave me and to this day right now, I don't, alcohol doesn't play a huge, a huge role in my life. It just doesn't. 
I, I, yes, there's times that it has, and I'm not proud of it, but there's times that I, I can go day to day and it plays a nominal role. I don't have a drink or I have a little, a little wine cooler and just a spritz of wine and, and, and it, one and done is a saying I use. And so that's Annie books, Annie Grace's, Annie Grace's book on spontaneous sobriety called This Naked Mind. You won't remember the, the title, but you will remember the name Annie Grace. And there's plenty of material on her around. So you're now primed. You're now primed on Annie Grace and her book on spontaneous sobriety. So you can take it from here. For more information on me, my podcasts, books, and bio, please visit josephmccormack.com. J-O-S-E-P-H-M-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K.com. All views shared are entirely my personal opinions and do not reflect my business concerns or coworkers' views. If you don't agree with this content, I encourage you to find a podcast that suits you better.